Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. across the backs of dead Greeks. Your Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And for the first time, Callum Petch, who has written for the site before, but the first time on the podcast. Well, it's been on the podcast in a little kind of mini interview before uh, when I spoke to him and Jackson about games mm. and films and things like that. So... Uh, that was a pre-record, and he's actually kind of live tonight. So don't swear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you mean don't swear? <laughs> Load of... Just don't libel anyone. Don't because I'm too lazy to edit those out. So just don't libel anyone. You can that's, say that's what you like about dead people, though. That doesn't count. You yeah. can libel yeah, dead all you like. Yeah, yeah. Let's not make a habit of it. No. Mm. Bob Crow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, yes, uh, we have this week uh, new reviews of Escape from Planet Earth, Grand Budapest Hotel, and 301, or the 300 <laughs> sequel. 300 uh, Yes. <laughs> 300 times 2, which is 600, maths fans. Yeah. So, uh, we'll start off, though, with the quiz. Uh, well, before actually Owen takes control of the quiz, Owen made us watch Transformers, The Dark of the Moon. Yeah. to give yep. it its full title, or Transformers 3, to give it its abbreviated title. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks, Owen. <laughs> You're welcome. What did yeah, you... No. Did you like any of it to start with? Before Do we... you know what? I, I, I decided against watching uh, Transformers, the, something about the Fallen, I don't know. The, the same. Yeah. Uh, because I, I fell asleep to the first Transformers the first time I tried to watch it. I wasn't going to watch the second one. So I just I tried to Wikipedia the plot so I could try and... And that gave me more of a headache than a Michael Bay action. Tr- trying to follow all these re- these names and these stupid plot points and things like that gave me a headache. So I came in naturally feeling annoyed. Do you, well, having... do you know with Transformers 2, there is a little bit in the middle where they actually stop all of the action and you have a big robot explain what's just happened. What's happening now and what's going to happen. So you could have watched (laughs) like five minutes and got the whole plot. I could have done with um, uh, the guy, is it James Whale, turning into a robot and just stopping me in the middle of reading that. James Whale? James Whale, it's something Whale or James something. The guy who made Frankenstein and The Mummy. Yeah, yeah, and he did Wikipedia (laughs) in his spare time. He's visionary. He was an absolute visionary. I'll I'll find it by the end of the episode okay. at some point. Uh, but yeah, so I thought right, okay, go. What the fuck? It's two and a half hours long. What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cutthroat Island. Know, come on, that was a fucking long. You know my rule of thumb: if it's longer than Goodfellas, it needs to be fucking special. <laughs> and it wasn't. Um, 
Okay. It was, as I said on Twitter last night, it was like watching a simpleton smash a washing machine into a dishwasher while leering at women passing by. It was a horrible, <laughs> why, horrible why, film. Why did you smash a washing machine into a dishwasher? That's what it looked like on screen. <laughs> just white goods being thrown at each other. You, I had no could idea. You put the clo- could you put clothes into a dishwasher or dishes into a washing machine and have a, a good result from that? I have no idea. A better result than Transformers Darker Than Moon. But, any, that would, but anyway, that would, from somebody who's now yes. seen all three of the Transformers films. Okay, an expert. Yes, uh, <laughs> aficionado of the Transformers genre. Um, it's also seen the animated one from ages ago. I didn't mind the first one. The first one was fine. The second one was terrible. The third one was better than the second one, but still terrible. Biggest improvement for me was that they actually found a way to differentiate between who was the good Transformers and who was the bad Transformers. Because because in two in two I didn't have a clue who was who. <laughs> they, they, it was just a bunch of grey metal fighting each other. But in in the third one, at least they said right because these ones are good, we'll put a bit of colour on them, and <laughs> the ones that are bad can stay grey and all metallic and depressing. I think the way that this one was shot as well gave because it, it was from much further out. So the other ones you have lots of close up action, and you can't see anything. All it is is like. James says it's like white goods smashing against each other. In the, in the third one, you, from a much further, the camera's much further out. There are brighter colours on them, so at least, at least with Transformers Three, you can kind of make out what's happening about fifty. Sh- maybe of the time. I'm getting old. I just massively struggled with. It. I the the second one would clearly hugely confuse me then because I struggled with it there to be honest. Four, um, fourth one's out this year. Yeah, yeah, no, can't can't wait. But it's kind um, of. It's kind Mark Wahlberg's in it instead of Sheila Booth. Which is so. which is an upgrade yeah. from the beef. But it's a it's it's a kind of a reboot, but it's still the fourth one, so it's like a, a reboot and a continuation yeah. of the mm, franchise. To say, which is a, which is a great idea from Michael Bay, in my opinion. It's, <laughs> re, re, revolutionising film. What I will say is, I then tried um, actually, you know, like the old Wizard of Oz trick. I actually tried watching the first twenty minutes of it with the sound tang, listening to Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon," <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, massively improved it uh, hugely. I, I, I just don't, I, I, I didn't get what, who the hell authorized that? I, I know it made huge amounts of money, and that actually yeah, because idiots sickens it. me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, but like, like you... John Malkovich turns up for, for no cast, reason, doesn't it? For no reason does John Malkovich. John Turturro decides to play Al Pacino <laughs> in a Michael Bay film. Um, Frances McDormand, who I love, and what the hell did she turn up in this? And yet the cast, you look at, and you think, what, why, why? Um, especially Funny. that girl who, well, yeah, but that girl who. Came in instead of Megan Fox. What, the, I can't remember her double-barreled English yeah, name. Yeah, because she's a she's a she's a model. She's not a she's a model. She's done, and they yeah. just yeah. Well, that says it. She's worse than Megan Fox. Um, it, it, the script is horrific, and I know people don't go to watch these films for the script. Um, but we'll have a conversation later about big dumb action films but, that don't bother do, with a do script. Do you know what annoyed me? I know it annoyed Owen as well. When the character voiced by Lemon, Leonard Nimoy came out with the the Star Trek line, mm. oh, what are you doing? Just come on. The yeah, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. That is clearly yeah. just shoehorned into that scene. Yeah. Purely because and then it's someone Leonard else yeah. said his you you uh, you've always been my friend line as well. Someone else oh, actually yeah, said yeah. that. They just chucked a load of... Oh, it was a horrific film. Oh, oh, it's the worst film that I've seen in this 
challenge yet because I didn't rewatch Knowing. So, uh, <laughs> um, and I'm not going to rewatch Knowing to see if it's worth this. I, I, I honestly can't tell. But Steve, it's, Steve didn't. It's worse think than Cutthroat Island. This, this film was worse than Cutthroat Island, which a small part of me enjoyed. That no, no, every part of me is dead after watching this film. I disagree. I think I've given you the of the three films the least worst. <laughs> I think Cutthroat Island. At least knowing had Nick Cage. If this had had Nick Cage in it, it might have been slightly watchable. Well, uh, Owen, so let's let's continue on the voyage to the, the next. Oh, I better awful, win the next next one. awful film, uh, Owen. Right, I think okay. we should, yeah, go. Is Callum taking part in this? By the way. No, he's going to sit out of this one just in case he's not. But he he can he can watch and learn and see what happens if he becomes. <laughs> see the math you know, work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. I'll start. So in 1991, there was the film The Boy Who Cried Bitch. <laughs> I'm, I'm clearly going to find that on Netflix. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a great title. Yeah. Uh, I've no idea. No. Okay. Uh, in 1996. There was the film Bullet. Is that a remake of the of the sixties film with Steve McQueen? Is it? Uh, or or is it just? Is it spelled? Is it spelled with an I T? No, no. Or is it spelled like the? Oh, okay. Uh, All right. It's got Mickey Rourke okay. in it, so there's okay, a few. So it's but it's not Mickey Rourke. Rourke. Uh, <laughs> Bullet. Yeah. Um, in 1998, there was a film called Restaurant. And in the same year was the Thin Red Line. Oh, that doesn't no, narrow no. it down much. Yeah, okay. Um, thin Red Line. Everyone. James, go for it. Adrian Brody. Bloody hell, yes. Fucking yeah. <laughs> You've been on a Google. I'm sure. I haven't. I just suddenly thought, who's who's in the films that are out this week? Because quite often we uh, are kind of swayed towards those. And I thought Grand, Bo- even though Grand Budapest Hotel's got everyone in it as well, but yes. Boom. Yeah. Eat some of that, Steve. Eat my dust. Uh, you're gonna Google then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not having my reputation besmirched in such a slanderous manner. I'll sue. I'll leave this in and then I'll sue. We're gonna have to sell webcams for this game, I think. Put our hands on our heads so we can't Google. Right. Anyway, well that's the quiz done then. Yeah. <laughs> See I think one then over. I think what James has has got is, you know, like an iPhone with, with the talk talking oh. search application <laughs> live so he's just sort of you seem to know an awful lot about cheating Steve. Bitter. I, haven't got, I, haven't yeah, got, yes. I haven't got an exactly. iphone so i can't cheat um <laughs> yeah. so who exactly is on trial here yeah <laughs> everyone society god damn it anyway right. moving on <laughs> yes moving on we have one one major bit of news this week, uh, and that is Shane Black is supposedly casting his eye and guidance over Die Hard uh, 7 or something, whatever we're on to now. Yeah. Six, isn't it? Six, six seven, yeah, six sounds right. It's all gone a bit too far. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, James, James found this story, so he can he can tell us more about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't know too much. I've just seen some reports on Twitter that Shane Black, um, yeah, is, is going to act as a consultant for the new Die Hard film. And it did just bring me on to this idea because that actually gave me a small bit of hope. And I just wanted to pose the question to our esteemed guests. 
Um, what would you do to save the Die Hard franchise? Because uh, what I did think is, actually, let's just not... Yeah, don't make him consult and give him the job, in my opinion. I'm, you know, cards on the table, I'm a big Shane Black fan. And I was, I just suddenly thought, oh, okay, you're reuniting Shane Black with the man uh, that he made uh, Last Boy Scout with, mm. which is one of the best action films of the... Is it the 80s? 90s. I think it is just about... 90s, oh, is, it, uh, I think. is it 1990? Okay. Um, but yeah, one of those great kind of action films, great script. Um, uh, my, you know, strip it, let's take it back to basics. Let's make it an 18. Let's stick John McClane in a small, confined space again um, and have Robert Downey Jr. Uh, you know, he's basically Shane Black's... Um, oh, what's the word? I've had a few tonight. Um, muse. Yeah. His muse. Um, as, as a kind of wisecracking villain, wisecracking charismatic villain. Make it an 18 because people would go and see it anyway. You know, let's not let's not worry about the 12A crowd here. Or at least make it a 15. At least make it a 15. Well, that's and, sweet, uh, sweet money, James. I know, I know. But, oh, they could, oh, it, it could work. So, and, and actually, maybe you don't even need to spend that much money on it in that sense uh you know um wolf of wall street's made over 100 million uh worldwide based on its you know that's a really hard 18 film and it's going to keep on making but that's it's scorsese and dicaprio so oh yeah got oh, yeah, inflation but... for scorsese and dicaprio <laughs> oh yeah but it's mainly playing these it's, it's been playing in a lot of art house places and things like that i think that's had a bit of cross but i honestly think People would go out and see Robert Downey Jr. has got bankability now. Um, and if you actually came out really honestly in your marketing and said the last two diehards were shit, but we're going back to basics with this one, people might. You have, you have to literally shout in people's faces. Look, we know we know we fucked up, but these are going to be like we're, this is going to be at least as good as Die Hard 2. Then people will pay their money. But what do you guys think? Well, how much money does it cost to make a Die Hard film? You know, how much Die Hard Five have cost roughly? A good day to uh, Die Hard costs ninety-two million, according to this right here. Right, ninety-two million. Get out, someone who does research and everything. So what? So, <laughs> like, <laughs> research. Yeah, you won't fit in here. Uh, <laughs> so, so what I would have done, what I would do, is one of two things. First, this is option A. Um, I would spend that ninety-two million trying to invent the kind of technology, you know, in Men in Black, where they got the memory erasers. And make everyone forget about Die Hard 4 and Die Hard 5. If I can't do that, then what I'm doing is I'm taking the kind of general idea for in two awful films about the White House being invaded. I think I've spoke about this before. right? So John McClane, he's probably at the age where he's got grandkids now. And kids in America go on little trips around the White House. And like, if you remember at school, there wasn't enough. You, know, you couldn't take all the teachers out of school to take everyone on a field trip. So a couple of parents had to go along as well, didn't they? Yeah. Right. So John McClane. John- it comes Steve's yeah. scriptwriting masterclass. So John McClane's doing this. He's taking his grandkids with the school to the White House. Then some terrorists, for whatever reason they want, try and take over the White House. And John McClane is there on his own because all the security guys at the White House are dead or traitors, spies. In you know, inside for the bad guys. And then he has to save the president and the White House because it's still quite a confined space. You know, it's probably as overall as big as a tower or an airport. So that's fine. And that's that's Die Hard Six. It's an eighteen as well, so we can have guns and deads and okay. everything. Yeah. yeah. They, they made that film twice last year. <laughs> Just <laughs> not an work. <laughs> <laughs> they made that film twice, but they didn't have my idea. So no, um, they didn't have Steve Norman written at the bottom of it. Right. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, have we seen? 
I've seen a couple of these examples of what comment Shane Black adds to his scene directions. Have you seen any of these? No, I haven't. One, one of them is from uh, from Lethal Weapon. His exterior, posh Beverly Hills home, Twilight. The kind of house I'll buy of this movie is a huge hit. Chrome, <laughs> <laughs> glass, carved wood, plus an outdoor solarium. A glass structure like a greenhouse only has a big swimming pool inside. This is a really great place to have sex. <laughs> and that's a scene that's a scene direction from him so that is, oh I fucking love Shane Black and then there's another one from the last Boy Scout remember remember Jimmy's friend Henry who we met briefly near the opening of the film of course you do you're a highly paid reader or development person <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um, that's that's my idea for it yeah well I would probably controversially get rid of John McClane I think Whoa! Yeah, because you think he's rubbish. In that last on, film, he was hold rubbish. Hold off of a lynching. Are you planning on bringing Jai Courtney in as Jack McClane? Because if so, then I he am. deserves lynching. No, I am. I like Jai Courtney. Whoa! He was terrible in like <laughs> Frankenstein, but everyone was. But I like. <laughs> he was in um, the Jack Reacher film. I thought he was good in that. I thought was... Who was he in that? He was um, Werner Herzog's bodyguard. How oh, was it? Oh, see, when Werner was like, fuck it, get Werner Herzog in the new Die Hard film. <laughs> Clearly. That would Sorry. Yeah. 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 We'll get Shane back to write it, but Herzog to direct it. How about that? Whoa. Yeah, dark. And yes. stars villain. Why not? Let's go the whole hog here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and narrate it. Yeah. You know, because yeah, Shane Black always has a narration <laughs> like, over his films. Have Werner Herzog doing the narr- the villain narrating. No, the, no. What fucking hell, this is kicking off. No, the, villain, the villain's got to be an Englishman playing a German. <laughs> Werner Herzog could be a German playing an Englishman. Ah. full circle. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, could, he could be... Um, he could be... Um, uh, Hans Gruber's granddad, <laughs> and it's finally he's coming back for revenge. But anyway, on on on, on John McClane's son. There we go. Yeah, Owen, come on. What what was your idea to get rid of John McClane that I've really lost interest in now? But come on, <laughs> <laughs> just kill him off very early on. Get rid of him. Don't need him anymore. He's just Bruce Willis is embarrassing at the moment. I'm afraid Looper was good. I really like Looper, but everything else he's been in for the past. Five years has been pretty rubbish. G.I. Joe, second one. He's all right. Oh, yeah, that was good. Despite acting circles around him. So, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's right. And in um, Expendables 2 and the first one. Yeah, no, you're right. He doesn't look like he cares anymore. He doesn't. So just cut him out. Fuck it. He doesn't need any more money. He's Bruce Willis. So make a diehard film without him. Hollywood is there. Bloody hell. Anything to add here? <laughs> well, I feel like if Steve's trying to do a quintessential Shane Black's good teeth, he got to set it at Christmas. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like like the original Die Hard, amazing. P- works perfect. <laughs> but you're all full circle here. <laughs> um, yes. Right, right, no, uh, I don't know. Make it the Lucy McLean movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I just want to see Mary Elizabeth Winstead in stuff. Okay. No. Also, I, also, yes. this is probably my like shameful time to admit I actually kind of like Die Hard 4.0 because of it, like because it's it's silly, but nobody, but everybody with the possible exception of Bruce Willis is at least like you know trying to be fun and silly yeah. if nothing else. Like, and yeah. I, 
I can coast along on that kind of funness about. Whereas a good day to die hard was like it had n- none of us gives it, none of us give a shit here. We we're just waiting for the paychecks to clear, like seeping out through it all. Plus, also Die Hard 4.0 didn't give me a migraine whilst I was watching it. So no, no, uh, yeah, no, I quite like Timothy Oliphant in uh, uh in 4.0, mm. and uh, I even quite like the Kevin Smith bit as well <laughs> i can I didn't barely mind remember 4.0. anything about 4.0 i it's... didn't mind i remember him like crashing a plane with a car or something <laughs> like that uh... in a in a tunnel or something oh, I, can't was, I remember them being in the back of a van doing all this high-tech stuff and i just thought this is just bollocks isn't it this is written by yeah. somebody who knows absolutely nothing about computers yeah it turned up on e4 um the other night and i can and just like i remember maggie q's face period of i just remember it's like no i have to get up in the morning for lectures like i don't watch <laughs> this don't i still stay up half an hour later than i should have just so i could watch the sequence where he dropped by flings a car at a helicopter and that but yeah i like my feet dumb as long as it's fun so yeah i think that's fair enough so there we go, Hollywood. Yeah. Take take those and get in contact. Um, yeah, and while everyone digests that, uh, here's a break, and we'll be back with what we've been watching. So what we've been watching uh, then this week, where we take a look back at some films that we have seen, not necessarily new releases, or um, you know, but uh, films we've seen in the last seven days or so since the last podcast. Um, I'm going to start us <laughs> off with a terrible science fiction found footage film called Europa Report, briefly starring Charlotte Copley and a load of other people that you've probably never heard of or seen anything. And judging by this film, you're not likely to again. I don't even know why Charlotte Copley was in this. Maybe he knows the person in charge of some part of this film and owed him a favour. I don't know. But basically, this crew of spaceship are off to Europa which is a moon of Jupiter if you didn't know uh, because they think there's some kind of life there on the moon or possibility for life um, and then they lose communication with Earth and then nothing happens and then nothing happens and then nothing happens and then Charlotte Copley dies and then nothing happens and nothing happens and nothing <laughs> happens then something happens right at the end and then the film ends and it that's it like the devil inside I haven't seen that, so I can't compare. But it's just, ter- it's just terrible. Nothing happened. It's boring. By the time something happens at the end, you're beyond caring about any of the characters or what happens uh, or what's going on. It, it's just... And it's not done very well. I mean, it's not up there with the best found footage films, kind of like the original Paranormal Activity or Troll Hunter, uh, things like that. It's, it's up there with the worst. Uh, wow. I mean, but, I've heard mix. Uh, some, some I've heard a few are, people say they like. That's yeah. why. I, that's why I watched it. I heard a few people say they liked it. I but didn't. I'm assuming they also like loads of other shitty found footage horror films. Oh, so I, I don't would know. Like maybe. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it would be kind of a horror or full of suspense if something actually happened. <laughs> but so nothing but, horrific no, or suspense. No, nothing happens to kind of build any suspense. Like they'll see something on a monitor and that'll be it. And someone disappears, and that'll be it. What What are the effects like, Steve? Because obviously, you oh, know, it, it's it, meant to be set in space. Did you get that? Feeling? Yeah, it looks it looks quite good. I mean, it looks believable that they're in a, a spaceship where nothing happens, and they're in space where nothing happens, <laughs> and they're and they're on Europa where nothing happens. I mean, yeah, it's very believable that they're somewhere where nothing is happening. Yeah. Now, and again, because so, you you 
when you watched 2001, you kind of said that that was about a spaceship where nothing happens. Uh, are you saying this is potentially as good as 2001 A Space Odyssey? Oh, this is worse. I probably need to watch that again. <laughs> Maybe I was in the wrong mood watching that. Okay. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. But no, this... So, yeah, this, it's, it's bad then. It, where, where did you watch it? I watched it on Netflix, possibly okay. US. I can't remember which. Uh, in, in better news... I've been watching because the, the Star Wars, the Clone Wars cartoon has been now put onto Netflix because they, Disney have made a six series. I haven't got that far yet because I've just started watching it. But that's quite good. And you kind of think, well, why didn't you put some of these ideas into the uh, the prequel trilogy? Because it's a lot better than the crap that you actually made. Probably because they have nothing to do with George Lucas. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I... I, I, I sensed a feeling Steve was going to go off on about the prequels again. No. <laughs> the opening scroll about tax. No. <laughs> I sense another 10 minute rank. No, I'm going to let let James talk about what film he's watched so I don't have to. <laughs> Good. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've not watched the film because uh, I've watched two new releases this week and I was forced to watch Transformers so I've not actually had time for another film unfortunately but what I have been watching for the last couple of weeks and I finally finished it uh, tonight is the first season of House of Cards on Netflix starring Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright uh, based on the BBC um the BBC series from I think 1990, 1991. I remember it from a long time ago, but I, I can't remember anything about it now, and I do want to watch it again. But it's about a congressman, Frank Underwood, uh, played by Kevin Spacey, who is kind of working behind the scenes and manipulating people to get to his ultimate goal of having ultimate power on the hill. And what I will say, because I'm watching it in a gap between re-watching The West Wing, so I've watched the first three seasons again of the West Wing and I've taken a quick gap to watch this and it's really interesting because it's a very very different cynical take on US politics whereas I think the West Wing is quite at times it's an idealistic show it's at times a life-affirming show very much a, a kind of we can do things better which runs through a lot of Aaron Sorkin's work this is kind of take the West Wing but dip it in the world of the Sopranos uh, in terms of in terms of the quality of acting as well, actually, uh, but in terms of the cynicism and in terms of the fact that you don't necessarily see loads of stuff happen. It's about the people involved, because um, I know a lot of people found that a bit weird about The Sopranos when they first watched it, was it wasn't loads of whackings and loads of jobs. It's actually just about the uh, the psychology of that kind of person involved in that work. And uh, it's the same thing with House of Cards. Kevin Spacey is absolutely brilliant and it's so good see kevin spacey back doing some great work on screens because there was a period during the 90s where he was one he possibly the, the the best actor working at the time he was you know did a lot of fantastic work i think culminating with american beauty and then kind of faded a bit after that he did k-pax which was a bit oh and uh he did a load of kind of rubbish actually. didn't he do ordinary decent criminal some kind of irish gangster film oh, i don't know what happened to kevin spacey but he's absolutely brilliant in this as uh frank underwood this uh, louisiana congressman who um breaks the fourth wall uh, and speaks to the audience on regular intervals to tell you about not only what he's doing what's going on in his mind but also these great kind of uh, little bits of wisdom that he's giving you and some lovely Southern American phrases and stuff like that. It's uh, a really evocative show. It's um, 
it's direct well it's executive produced and the first two episodes were directed by david fincher and it definitely has that david fincher sheen um that you that we've seen in you know kind of the social network and uh uh well pretty much all of his films actually you know he's a very very flashy director having worked in adverts previously and it, you know it's a very very shiny very polished um program Every every actor does really well in this. Kate Mara uh, plays a up and coming an up and coming reporter, and she's just been cast in the new um, what, what are those four? Fabulous Four, Furious Fantastic Four. four. I don't know. Thank you. Famous <laughs> Five. Been, yeah, she yeah. Famous Five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she's just been cast in that as uh, Sue Storm, I think. Um, and she she's brilliant in this um there's a few people you've kind of seen in television but don't necessarily know who they are but really really good performances very strong and actually as the series gets on it builds up to a real crescendo conspiracies and what starts off as quite a slow burning series really really gains pace and few shocking moments and i've just seen the first series the second series is already on house of cards i'm gonna watch that at some point as well but i really really recommend it i know a lot of people have watched it if you're one of those people that's kind of put off watching it or tried watching the first couple of episodes because about six months ago i tried watching it and watched about three episodes and wasn't sure about it and i've come back to it and i've really enjoyed it this time so um yeah house of cards it, it genuinely is kind of worth the hype and it's uh it made history last year by winning a golden glow first time in the internet streamed uh, television show won a Golden Globe for Robin Wright's performance as Frank Underwood's wife Claire. Um, so no, really, really good stuff. So if you're at all interested in anything political or just good drama on TV, it's it's one to watch. Excellent, um, Owen. What have you seen? Uh, I watched a film on iPlayer actually because I've been catching the bus to and from work quite recently. Uh, I can actually download stuff from iPlayer. So it's been great, actually, to catch up on some films. And The Devil's Double, uh, which is a film by... I'm going to get names wrong. I always get names wrong. It's, uh, Lee Tamahori, I think his name is. He's a, um, from New Zealand. From New Zealand. Uh, but it stars Dominic Cooper. It's his biggest uh, star. Of- oh, it's, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen this on uh, in DVD yeah form in yeah. shops and stuff yeah. and, and always kind cover. of taken a look at it yeah yeah, it's yeah. Got a great cover yeah. with him just sitting all painted in gold with the gold yeah. background yeah. on a gold throne and that kind of thing yeah that's the one yeah, yeah. yeah. directed uh, by tamahori there we tamahori. go is that how you say it yeah okay well, I, think, I think it is anyway i'm hoping yeah. it is because otherwise i'm accidentally being offensive here by getting it wrong. <laughs> don't worry don't worry we do it all the time um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah lee tamahori yeah so uh, it's about uh, Saddam Hussein's son, one of his sons, um, who is played by Dominic Cooper, but he, he called Uday Hussein. But he, Dominic Cooper also plays Latif Yahia, who is hired, um, not out of choice, he's sort of forced into the role to be Uday's double. He plays his, his brother, his fictional brother, um, and also to act as his double. He essentially becomes Uday's plaything. But bear in mind, it is Dominic Cooper still playing both roles. Uh, he puts in... Uh, you know, one of the things the film's quite known for is being a brilliant performance by Dominic Cooper in an otherwise kind of mediocre setting. Um, I would say perhaps the mediocre is quite harsh and to call it a brilliant performance is kind of overplaying what his role is anyway. So... To me, it was an okay film with a bit better than 
average performance. Um, the film itself is, I mean, it's supposed to be a biography. So the way that it's shot, it's, it's very jumbled up and a bit mixed and you, you're not really sure what's happening at different times. But it's it's shot like a biography, but at the same time, it's very cartoonish crime uh, and gangster story at the same time. So, you know, you've got um, Uday, who is, I mean, effectively, he's just a head of a gang. He's a psychopath. He kills people. Um, he abducts young girls off the street as is, you know, these dictators are kind of known for that. You know, I watched a, a documentary on Gaddafi, which was on Storyville as well on I player. Okay. Um, and, you know, the things that they do is they just go and drive around the streets and they see a young schoolgirl they want and they just take her. And that's it. She's never heard from again. And it's kind of the same sort of thing. So it's just trying to paint this picture of, of Uday as this horrible, uh, well, a very convincing portrayal as a, as a very horrible, well, yeah, psychopath. That's what he is. And uh, Latif, who was a soldier, was an Iraqi soldier, has got a lot of, um, it's quite an honourable person. He's, he seems quite genuine and good at, at heart. And it's all, then really that's where um, you get to see Dominic Cooper put in the better performance. I think as, as Uday, he comes a bit comes across a little bit comical and i don't think that's the intention because some of the stuff that they portray is just it's horribly violent um you know almost to the point of like i've seen it compared to scarface and it is kind of that 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 level really it's just completely over the top to the point where you think well it's not actually that bad is it it's just it's, it's quite bad what he's doing but it's you, you're taken out of it because of the way it's shot but as Latif, he, he's, he's much more reserved and it is a stronger performance when he does that. The problem sometimes you get with these films where you've got one character playing two different, uh, one actor playing two different characters is the CGI on them can be a bit <laughs> ropey. And that also mm. kind of took me out of the film at times. You, you watch it and you see two Dominic Cooper standing next to each other. And one of them is clearly, clearly like the, the, the head is just almost floating off the body because it's just really bad <laughs> but um yeah i suppose for the, for the story itself it seems a bit contrived it seems a bit too silly to be real and i know often um you get these stories which are just you would think they're absolutely ridiculous stuff like argo for example you know where you think well that didn't happen did it but actually you read up about it and find out okay well that did happen with this there's a lot of controversy about whether the story is real and whether Latif was ever um, Uday's double or anything like that. Sure. It might not have even had anything to do with him. So it could just all be a fantasy story anyway. So that kind of explains why some of the, 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 the story just goes off on this weird tangent and it adds absolutely nothing to any character. It just goes on and on and on without doing anything significant. And then it just seems like a waste of time, to be honest. But the, the overall... It's all right. It was nominated for a Saturn Award, which I think they're usually reserved for horrors, you know, horrors and sci-fi. Mm. And it's it, I wouldn't put it in either. It's definitely more of a crime thriller. Um, but, you know, it, it if you watch it, it will be for Dominic Cooper's performance. That's that's sort of obvious. And also, like, you know, when James says you see the DVD cover and you think that looks pretty cool. <laughs> it's yeah. got a cracking DVD cover. So it looked great on a shelf. But um, that's about all it all it needs to be really it's not worth spending too much time on okay uh callum what film have you watched what are you going to talk to us about 
Um, well, I've seen a lot this past week due to have, due to being a film studies student at university, so I've seen Perfect Blue. Perfect. Oh, bloody hell, he's even more bloody <laughs> better to talk at this than us. I can't even talk anymore. Well, if, if he's studying yeah. film, he has to end up making his own films. I think I know who he's going to come to for ideas. <laughs> <laughs> So I've seen Perfect Blue for the first time, saw Amelie for the first time, I saw Brokeback Mountain. For the first time? Yes. Wow. Which instantly meant that I got Pushing Daisies feelings from it, which is, which if I'd seen Amelie first, I would have got Amelie feelings from Pushing Daisies. But anyway. Okay, yeah. Um, I saw Brokeback Mountain for the first time, yes, because I'm a terrible person. Um, but instead, I'd actually like to talk about um, a film that I watched last night for the second time, uh, first time after seeing it, cinema's End of Watch. Um, yep. David Ayer, 2011, I was going to use the term buddy cop movie here, but then when you think buddy cop, you immediately kind of switch towards um, comedy, and that's not in the slightest what End of Watch is. End of Watch is a, um, like a character drama, essentially, about uh, two police officers, um, Officer Brian Taylor, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and Officer Zavala, played by Michael Peña, um, who, and... The majority of it is actually just following their lives around as, you know, patrolling um, Los Angeles, you know, dealing with domestic disputes, um, drug crimes, gangsters, that, that whole kind of thing. Um, and it's it's a lot, it's actually a lot better than I remember it being. Um, and I remember really enjoying it when I first went to the cinema um, mm. to see it. Um, and the main reason why I think it works is because, it's because uh, like, it, it, it it has characters like the, t- the core, the, t- the core duo at the centre are, you know, fully, like, they're instantly likable, they're relatable, they trade sappy banter one another, they all have, you know, they have feelings, about, you know, how they tick, and mm. you spend a lot of time with them through a lot of different situations, which you know makes you bond. And then also, you know, John Hall and Pena are on absolute fire, and you know, cultivate chemistry like better chemistry than I've seen in a lot of romance movies, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, and that's predominantly why the film works, is because, you know, you've got a great central cordial at the end, which, you know, it, it, and you've got that investment there, so then when the tragic, you know, so when, when, then when the tragic ending does come, um, and there's only, it can only be a tragic ending, because, the ter- like, it's, it, it's directly there in the title, End of Watch, is a, um, is code in Los Angeles for when a police officer is killed in a line of fire. Yeah. Um, like, that, like, it works. It works even in spite of the... <sighs> dreadful circumstances getting there like cause the film is at its best when it's kind of episodic it's just following taylor and zavali you know going about their lives their relationships with their wives and significant others one of which is played by anna, by very personal favorite actress of mine anna kendrick um like you know it's following them or on the job things like that it's great it it it, it kind of becomes a bit cringeworthy when a plot has to kick in involving them accidentally stumbling upon an evil mexican drug cartel operating in the area um <laughs> and like, and 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 like and it's in stark contrast because all police officers are fantastically well developed and interesting, and then you have the drug dealers led by who I'm pretty sure his official name is Mr. Motherfucking Fuck Fucking Fuck Fuck Fucking Fuck. fucking got to fucking got to fucking got to fucking fucking That's that's not a joke about. Like, that, that's pretty much I I pretty much just quote ad verbatim five seconds of a scene with it. There are at least five <laughs> scenes with him in this film that last for more than three minutes, and all of them are just him pretty much going, fuck, fucking he fuck this, I'm going to fucking get, you better fucking, fucking head in the fucking game, son, you fuck. And it's <laughs> kind of, this, this may be how drug dealers talk, I wouldn't know, I don't know any, but like, it's just, 
in, because they're so cartoonishly evil. Even like an evil lesbian, like evil deranged lesbian for a psychic and everything. Who's also there, you know, like, fuck this and fuck this. Ah, you want to lick this, you motherfucker? It's like, <laughs> it's, like it's cringe. But the problem is, like, the film could still have had its tragic ending and excised that, like, the terrible people, like these terrible characters who are just really not that good to watch and kind of maybe burst out into, un- into unintentional laughter a lot of the time without it. It could still have had its tragic ending, just had them, like, you know, have a routine job go wrong or something. Mm. Um but again, like it's still a testament to the quality of the, everything out of like you know, like, all the character strength in the film, and also the way it's shot because um, it it kind of starts off as like a found footage type film and we got because Taylor's filming it for law class or something. But then the film itself doesn't even stick to found footage for the majority of the time. It just kind of stick like it just cuts to standard cameras that film the actual clothes. So I don't think the film needs a found footage aspect. It could have just, you know, mm. shot close and intensely, you know, through like having guns on the end of cameras and cut and you know the official cop cars, but without actually having to explain it away. But what are you gonna do? Um, like the thing is, uh, even with those characters, like that character work there is what makes the ending work and is what um, you know it actually makes it really genuinely heartbreaking and kind of tear jerking. I remember actually going to the um, cinema when it first came out with a couple of friends to see it, and then we bumped into another load of friends who were also going to see it, and so we all just kind of sat together watching it, um, because it had been sort of, you know, like a cop a cop action drama type thing, and instead it's, you know, and instead the action kind of just holds off till the very end, it's this character piece. Um, and so, uh, and then by the end, about half of us were actually like in tears as the um, credits started rolling, because of the end, and... I get emotional out of films. I'm not gonna like it. I'm very easy to manipulate into in, into crime dreadfully. I just watched 101 Dalmatians the other week, uh, like the other night, and I st- and like t- not the Glenn Close one, but the, the actual the original. Yes. The yeah, the 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 wonderful animated one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like and tears of happiness and possibly also wistful nostalgia yeah. dropped at the ending there as well. Um, like so, I got but majority of my friends and that don't actually cry at films at all, and that because... that's because they're they're not in touch with themselves, Cal. <laughs> they're not in touch. With them. I'm I'm a big crier. I've got no shame. This is a safe space. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but like that that's just the kind of thing is that like if you put in the character, and this is the thing most of our action films about need to learn is that if you put in the character work beforehand, like it pays dividends in the end, and you will get genuine emotional reactions from people. Like so, when you have your heroic sacrifice or your like sudden killing off in the middle of the film or something, it will something will happen. You'll get a reaction instead of just a kind of yeah, that happened. Which incidentally, I may yeah. be referring to a film we're going to talk about later, but I cannot for the life of me think of which one it is. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, and, and it refers back to our when we were talking about Transformers earlier as well. Yeah, it, if if you don't give a shit about the characters, there you go. and and. I, I forgot to say when we were talking about Transformers, but this kind of ties in. Um, in in Transformers: Dark of the Moon, you you see you see Transformers, you see these characters, these robot characters, getting executed in front of your very eyes. They're, they're kind of being sat there and shot in the head and stuff like. Um, and I didn't give a shit because I didn't know who any of them <laughs> were. And it's that kind of, and that's that's an extreme example of that. But you're you're exactly right. Um, it's not about the. It's not about the gunfights and the car chases and things like that. Yeah, they're they're thrills along the way, but the films you remember, those ones you have an emotional connection with. And I I, I enjoyed without loving End of Watch the first time, but I think a bit of that was simply because I've got an inbuilt kind of suspicion of any film which decides to use fan footage as as its 
gimmick um and so i but i do i the, the performances were great though so i I'm, it's one of those that i will go back and revisit yeah. at some point yeah it, it wasn't until the second time like it wasn't until i watched it here that i realized like how little a film actually sticks to its found footage can see because it's very clear cuts from the camera to lower quality digital cameras being like placed elsewhere and that um yeah i really enjoyed it um david i has actually got two more films coming out this year um fury which is the one which i think shia labeouf is busy ruining the production of yeah and also sabotage which is essentially a slash the arnie film? yeah a sla- which is, looks like a slasher cop flick with arnold schwarzenegger and olivia williams so i'm sorry oh, okay it's like yes. expendables that thing but it, with arnie as the main guy instead of sly isn't it it just puts together a team of like Who's who's in that again? Is it um, is Forrest okay. Whitaker in it and Terence Howard and? Hang on, I'm getting it. Up. I'm getting it up now. <laughs> I'd never bother. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got a massive ensemble cast. Yeah, uh, Joe Magniello, Josh Holloway, Sam Worthington. Oh, Sam yeah. Worthington still has a career. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> and again, there's Olivia Williams there as well. So. Okay. Yeah. I'll be I will be going to continue to continue my faith to everybody who appeared in Dollhouse. So yes, oh another Dollhouse. Right, you're in. Yeah, <laughs> there needs to be there by law there needs to be a Dollhouse fan on this uh, podcast, um, guaranteed. Uh, so you're in when I have to disappear for a bit. <laughs> well done, you've just yes. you played your way in there, Callum. You you said the magic word. Um, yeah, that was Alan Tudyk was in Transformers as well. What the hell was that man doing there? <laughs> oh, God damn. Alan Tudyk was in Frozen as well. I think he just shows up anywhere there's like a page. Yeah, yeah. He he does a lot of Disney voices actually, Alan. Because uh, he was in Wreck It Ralph as well, wasn't he? Have some candy. Yes. <laughs> God bless Alan Tudyk. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I think that brings uh, what we've been watching to a close. So after this break, we'll have uh, reviews of new releases, uh, 300 Rise of an Empire, Grand Budapest Hotel, Escape from Planet Earth. So up first for our uh, reviews of three new releases this week is uh, 300 Rise of an Empire. Here's a clip. This Themistocles has shown himself to be quite brilliant in battle. Which is more than I can say for any of you. Do you gentlemen find my command unreasonable? Is it too much to ask for victory? But though I stand among 10,000, I am alone. I long for a soul who would stand by my side. I could trust. by the day's end. I will make certain of it. I hope so. Okay, well, to make the listeners happy, I have not seen any new releases this week, so you won't hear me talking for probably the next 10 to 15 minutes, maybe more. Uh, so the three of the, have three of you or two of you seen this one? Three of us. All three yeah. of you have seen this one. So James, yeah. why don't you uh, start off the discussion then? Okay, so 300 Rise of the Empire is the kind of, it's not exactly a sequel, a side sequel, I think. Uh, prequel, intercool, parallel story, slight sequel, it's 
a lot of things, but at least the original there 300. You go. Uh, yeah, so all of those. Um, set after, uh, well, no, made after 300, set before, during, uh, and after the events of the original film 300, based on the Frank Miller uh, graphic novel. I believe 300 Rise of an Empire is based on ideas about of a, as yet unpublished Frank Miller uh, yeah, he's been graphic sitting novel. on it for a long time yeah. yes <laughs> uh, it's about uh, the Greek general uh, Themistocles and the invading Persian forces generally kind of naval forces here, here um, Xerxes is back and uh, Art- Artem- Artemisia yeah. is that? yeah Artemisia um, played by Eva Green and it's a load more blood, guts, political intrigue, and like kind of slowed down, then sped up really fast, then slowed down fight scenes. Um, yeah, I, do you know what? I'm going for a bit. I'm going to turn over to uh, Callum and Owen uh, first. I, I've got some things to say about it, but I I, I just think they've got more to say about <laughs> it than me. I'm going to let well, Callum ha- go though because <laughs> no, no, no. review on the site is brilliant. So I want to <laughs> let him talk first. Sight. No, no, I, I was just gonna be, I was just gonna be polite. I thought it was gonna be like the old guard go first or something, and no, I just no, put my two cents in the end. Strike, son. Um, yeah, uh, no. My thing, three hundred Rise of an Empire. In fact, like on the surface, it's not, it's not a bad film. It's like you know, one of those fuddingly dull, mediocre action films that usually get pumped out at, like the beginning of March. Uh, you know, where you have like an opening action scene, like actually seeing this case in the naval battle pretty exciting and interesting and then all the rest kind of turn into amorphous blobs and how you've got like one really good performance in this case Eva Green who for the majority of it is pretty much channeling like a large hammy version of Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender um but I mean you have you know a lot of action scenes that melt into nothing a lot of plot points that come and go without anything like it's all like competently made the problem is that it doesn't think like it does a lot of cool things, or at least it thinks it attempts to think it's cool about, but it does all of them without thinking about like the consequences of what it's doing. And therefore they inadvertently end up making a film that's racist, sex misogynistic, and also kind of very supportive of doomed offences. Regards to think like um the main thing like Themistocles' main plot, um, like plan here is that he knows that all the Spartans on their, you know, march to the hot gates to take on Xerxes is doomed. And is a more and you know, like is a free fancy free to folly or fancy or whatever things called. Um, and so, he, but he's planning to take that and spin it into being a thing that will unite all of Greece together to take down the evil Persian Empire, which is not exactly how senseless sacrifice works. Last I checked, I mean. <laughs> We all remember the Battle of the Somme and how that united the British against the evil German forces for the remaining f- and end of the war post haste. Um, that's that's uh, that, like the main problem I found here as well is just like misogyny involved in this film as well. Like there, there are two female characters in this film, which admittedly is probably one more person for female orientation than the original 300 gave us. I don't count that like random tit oracle or whatever it was from yeah. this film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like Lena Headey, who I really wish like would get an action film that knows how to use her for once in her bloody life. Dread. Oh, think... What did you think of her in Dread? I thought she, I thought like she was she was like half asleep in Dread until I realised that's kind of the point, and therefore mm. she was fantastic in regards to the role that she was. Because yeah. I also watched Dread again the other week, so yeah. Um, like 
it serves that, but she she's back as Queen Gorgo. She's in it for three scenes, despite her omniscient narration, and two of those are pretty much just whining about how she won't help the Greeks. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not. I didn't want, I, I, I don't want her to, you know, be those people who just joins it before and slays people left, right, and center and everything like that. But I, what I wanted was a character, and she doesn't have a character. She just has that obstructive bureaucrat archetype, that kind of thing that. But that's like goes back to Ghostbusters or something. You know, you have the guy down there, like you gotta shut this down here. It's danger to power levels, danger to the city and all that. Like <laughs> as if to make up for this, um, Artemisia, played by Eva Green, is the most developed character of the film. Um, problem is, she's given the backstory, oh, the yes. one backstory that all male writers and yes male writers will saddle their dark action girls with in order to justify their behaviour. And Steve, seeing as you have not seen 300 but i with vampire but i assume you are familiar with films in general i'm going to give you one i'm going to give you like three guesses here as to what the back as to what caused artemisia to be so evil like what happened to her childhood uh steve probably thinks she just didn't get to watch star wars <laughs> <laughs> well obviously not an ancient Greek shot going to are you <laughs> um trying to think some some man did something probably or her parents split up one of them two <laughs> split up yeah <laughs> <laughs> lead the persians <laughs> against the greeks yeah. <laughs> right, no, um, yeah dead family and then she spent like years being raped on a slave ship rape ladies and gentlemen yeah. when you need to justify your 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 evil hero your evil villainess's love for violence rape is always the answer <sighs> Like, but that didn't kind of derail it itself. I mean, it's really fucking lazy storytelling, but like, it didn't derail it. So the problem is later on when it's insinuated that she's this way as well because she hasn't got a good strong man fighting alongside yes. her. Mm. Like, well, it's hinted I don't, at don't have, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's quite believable. <laughs> like, it's hinted at at first in subtext, you're going to be in when she's belittling everybody from these two losses against Greeks. Like, I'm stood here with a thousand soldiers, and yet I feel so alone. But, you know, like, it, you could just take it as, oh, she's on another level in regards to strength here. It could yeah. be. Yeah. No, then she invites Mr. Cleese over to neutral ground and turns into a temptress. And then if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. And that's about the point I completely... It's a horrible, horrible scene. And I, I, I can't believe this is now. Eva Green, who is... Um, a decent actress and an attractive woman has now been in two of the very worst sex scenes I've ever seen committed to film. And I, I don't know how and what it's a horrible scene. Yeah. It, it just, it made me really uncomfortable in the set because and it, it, not because of the performances particularly, but like you say, what was the film even trying to say there? What, what was, it was just horrible. Yeah. It really misogynistic as well. I mean, yeah. people complained about the first one because it's just like naked men and oh, aren't men brilliant? But I think I it just find it... it quite fun and homoerotic. Yeah, but 300 <laughs> never tries to put its men above the women. So I think I don't think of 300 no. as misogynistic because well, it, it never tries to do that. Okay, there's a lack of female characters, so perhaps you know there's inherently some level of misogynism in that. But in 300 Rise of an Empire, it is, it is horrible to watch. It's yeah. really quite offensive. Wasn't, wasn't Queen Gorgo's role in that entire first film to like just get screwed over by Dominic West, both literally and figuratively? Like, or did I, or did I just imagine that? Like, you spent she, the entire. No, that, yeah, that's right. But she's also painted as being quite a strong-willed. You know, she's she's doing it, but she knows that she's doing it for the good of her country yeah. or whatever. So it's not. It's, it's not, not like, just because she needs a man. Exactly. In her bed. Yeah. 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 
yeah. I, I, I do think, yeah, there's, I think there's a slight, again, you have, it's the whole kind of, um, you know, virgin whore mm. dichotomy yeah. they've got going on here, and they just decided to go with whores yeah. in the second film, obviously, yeah. and it's, it, no, that, that is a, a massive, massive, it, it was a horrible thing. You know, it, um, it also then just paints, like, all their actions later on in the film as just, like, the worst fucking thing like and then when the final battle comes and like you know and then like and so and because it's not time to end the fight yet you know Miss Cleese punches her in the face and there's like that second where it looks like she's paying and then it looks like she's getting off on it yeah mm. uh, and even, even she even says like you fight better than you fuck which then leads yeah. to like an end action which i can't spoil because this is not a spoiler cast or anything but like the second that the subtext of the film are built up beforehand hit with the action in my head like the two hit in my head i genuinely shout out my car oh my fucking god <laughs> like because i was yeah. just repulsed by what i had seen and yeah. it was disgusting and awful and just yeah like, yeah like if this was any other film the fact that, this, that the greeks black up for the finale would have been the headline here <laughs> oh no yeah that that was slightly well, well, uh, well, that I was mean, almost comical in the circumstances well, i mean like to be fair they don't black up it's supposed to be like yeah. it's supposed to be like white skull paint on a black back no no that sounds worse when i say it up, when i say it up. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but aside okay yeah. but aside from like the messages and stuff i had a problem with the style of the film I think yeah, it, same, yeah. it tries to obviously because bad cover version. It's a bad cover version, but it's to the point where it's like a cheap history channel dramatization more than <laughs> it's like the first 300. You know when you've yeah. seen those crappy like I think they did a Spartacus thing on the uh, that was Spartacus, stars. Sorry, Spartan. Yeah. <laughs> on no, the that was channel. stars. It, was, it also got better if you stuck it out after episode one. Like trust, it got great television once it got to episode six and stopped being the 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 cable channel uh, version of 300. Yeah, right. Right. But anyway, that looked terrible to me, and it's got that same look to it. It just, <laughs> like James says, it looks like someone's put cling film over the screen for the first film. So it's got that same slow motion and quick, and it's so slow. So then goes very quick again in the action films, uh, yeah. action scenes, and it just looks rubbish. It's the not... guy who bleeds to death on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's just, just hilarious. It is. It is. It's just. I mean, the, the first film has an abs. Uh, one of the, the things that the film first film does that is quite unique, I think, is its style. You know, it captures mm. that comic book um, mm. image. It was the first time I'd seen a film quite like that. Yeah. Um. But it doesn't work when someone does it again and not and quite badly, as well. Yeah. And with all the fun taken out of it, no. without the, without the the great lines. And I never thought I'd say this. But without Gerard Butler, <laughs> and I never thought I'd say that about Gerard Butler, but actually this film did miss that kind. Well, you say um, that, but they keep putting images of Gerard Butler oh, yeah. in this film, and it just makes you go, oh right, yeah, okay. Like, yeah. I, like, I wish he was there, obviously. going, we shall dine in hell, yeah. and stuff like, like that. I miss that. Yeah, just like, just, as if it's like, here's what you paid six pound fifteen to not see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and, um, but like also like, the, that thing about the whole style thing is I remember like specifically the opening like when Queen Gorgo is doing her intro thing and it flashes back and then it does a thing where the Greeks are running up a hill in slow motion and so get them back to slow motion like it got like are, are we making fun of this here because like, I'm yeah. laughing here I I don't think I'm yeah. supposed to be like, no. is this a joke. It was- it was. It really reminded me of when Busted did a cover of Teenage Kicks. <laughs> yes, horrible kind of cynical, manufactured 
um, take on what originally, and again, there were some issues with the there were some issues with the politics of all of Frank Miller's work, um, and there were some issues with 300. But do you know what? I went in and I I had a lot of fun with it, um, and I kind of felt watching 300 that they weren't taking themselves too seriously, or or that they were taking themselves so seriously that it felt like they weren't. I'm, I'm still not quite quite sure where Gerard Butler. I don't know where his performance came from, whether he thought this is fucking ridiculous or whether he thought this is Shakespeare. I don't know, but somehow it works. Um, but the, but I mean, we, he, we sort of mentioned his dialogue, though. He has great dialogue as well to work. Yeah, with. Does, it works within the context of that film. In this, yeah. all the dialogue comes through the narration, really. You know, it's, yeah. all, and it's all exposition. It's all exposition. Apart yeah. from the weird narration that sometimes doesn't make any sense. I'm going, yeah, what, that sounds like sixth form poetry. Yeah. What does that actually mean? Sullivan like stops the film like three times, delivers a speech, and you just sit there and go, I much prefer Jared Butler saying this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But he, 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 he very, very, very rarely musters up any of the charisma he's shown on that strike back, on that American strike back. So. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'd, 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 you know, like you say, it's not, it's not the worst made film of all time. It's just I cannot find any uh, spark like of originality. Yeah, that, that's it. I can't. It, I've seen worst made films that have had at least a bit of something about mm. them that have wanted to be something more than they are. At least they might fail, but at least they've wanted to be more. Whereas this doesn't feel like it wants to be anything mm. apart from the. Yeah, you know, like you say, this kind of weird misogynistic. Yeah. Again, I, I, it's just a horrible film. Yeah. Like again, I don't think it's meaning to be. It's just, like, no, I don't I, think anybody involved mean it like is misogynistic. Though. It's just the fact they're doing things without thinking, and they're hoping you'll yeah. be distracted enough by the sight of a horse riding along, riding along on boats through flames. And like yeah. to just not sit through that, and like in just the concept, but. Because I've seen a lot, a lot of people give a pass to this film, both audience and critics, under the terms of if you just turn your brain off, then it's fine. It's yeah. just blood and guts. Uh, like, but no, no, fuck that. That should not be an excuse for letting a film this problematic just slide by, uh, like freely. Yeah. I, I, there was a movie critic I really like who tried to tell me Artemisia is like the new gold standard for e- like for evil villainesses. Oh dear just, God. Yeah, like it's just I don't. Like we should just demand better movies. You shouldn't just sit there and say right. if you turn your brain off, and all the problems will just go away. Because that that's just letting people get away with yeah. this shit. And it's yeah. a, again, and the what because the film itself is mediocre. Everything like permeating underneath is disgusting. And I yeah. saw this on International Women's Day. I felt like I was giving a middle finger <laughs> to the entire female race as I came out the cinema. Like. Yeah, I'm a feminist. I'm going to go watch 300 Rise of an Empire. <laughs> Get away from it, women. This and is that, I think that's a problem. It, it is a missed opportunity because you so rarely have a good performance um, of a lead female character in an action film. Uh, and it, and Eva Green is the best thing in this film. Uh, you know, but her character is just so. Horribly I mean, you both keep written. saying that, but I didn't like her in it anyway. Oh, really? Terrible, and for all the reasons Callum's pointed out, but I didn't think she was any yeah. good either. Oh, right. Oh, even worse oh, then. I have but, literally you know, nothing I can think of that's redeeming for that film at all. Nothing. Oh, wow. On, on, there we on go. that note. Yeah, I think that's where we should probably end it. Yeah. It's probably now time to uh, have a review of Grand Budapest Hotel. 
Yes, and, and we have got a clip, and let's let's listen to the clip first. He's a concierge. What are you doing here? I've come to pay my respects to a great woman whom I loved. This man is an intruder in my home. It's not yours yet, Dimitri. Only when probate is granted and the deed of entitlement is You're given. You're not getting boy with apple, you goddamn little fruit. How's that supposed to make me feel? Call the police. We're pressing charges. This criminal has plagued my family for nearly 20 years. He's a ruthless adventurer and a con artist who preys on mentally feeble, sick old ladies. And he probably fucks them, too. I go to bed with all my friends. Okay, so, yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel, the new Wes Anderson film starring the cavalcade of actors that usually appear in his films. Uh, for example, Adrian Brody, Willem, Def- Willem Dafoe, uh, Bill Murray, obviously, uh, Ed Norton, uh, Jason Schwartzman. Who else have we got? Tilda Swinton's there. Um, but also Ray Fiennes uh, and F. Murray Abraham. And what? Seriously, does anyone assemble a cast quite like Wes Anderson these days? No, that, Woody that, Allen, possibly. Does anybody assemble a cast like that who are still capable of turning in great performances? No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so basically, the the, the film is uh, set primarily um, in the the between war uh years of about 1932 i think it says that the, the main story starts and it tells the story of a, a concierge gustave h played by ray fines at a famous european hotel in the the uh the made up world uh land of zabrovka which is a fantastic mm. uh bison grass vodka i believe um very nice vodka um anyway uh, and it's about him and his uh, lobby boy zero and it's it's a bit of a caper there's a there's a murder mystery there's uh jail escapes there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things and what i will just say right at the top is if you don't like wes anderson films <laughs> as a rule mm. just don't go and watch this one that's the that's all goes i i've i've had issues with some wes anderson films and i've not liked as many as i wished i'd liked um but what I, i'm just gonna say i, I really enjoyed this I, I really enjoyed this film um it had some really lovely small performances in it, uh, but Ray Fiennes w- was for me a revelation. I've not seen a Ray Fiennes performance quite like this, certainly stretched over ever stretched over a whole film. Uh, there were I saw elements of it in in Bruges, his kind of mm. comic timing, but um, no, I, I've not seen anything quite like this in a very long time, and I really really enjoyed it. I kind of liked it. I, I really built it up to myself, though. I, you know, I'd mm. sort of seen the trailer a load of times. Every time we seen, we went to the cinema, it seemed to be um, yeah. the trailer that was shown. It was on TV all the time. Um, but I was really looking forward to it. I thought it looked... It just looked like it was going to be my sort of film. I think it, it had that style to it, which is quite typical of Wes Anderson. But it's a style that you can say that can only be captured <clears throat> in a film by Wes Anderson, mm. you know? Yeah. So whether you, whether you like At that At least of... he's got some originality and a style and a voice. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to, I guess, Tim Burton, except in a good mm. way, you know, whereas yeah. Tim Burton's yeah. stale and all. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I think I kind of overhyped it to myself. And mm. although, I mean, I was, I was a bit disappointed with it overall. I've, I've got to be honest. I was a bit disappointed. But I did 
come out of it thinking, actually, I do like it. I, I do like it. It's just that it's not quite at the level that I was expecting it to be. You know, I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox during the week. Mm-hmm. Again, rewatched that, and I just thought, that's it's, it's such a good film. That's mm. the kind of um, level that I'd set Grand Budapest Hotel to in my mind. And yeah. so, but when it didn't quite achieve didn't that, that, it was, okay. yeah, you know, it was a bit of a shame. I watched Rushmore not too long ago as well. And I thought that was fantastic, you know. See, yeah, up up until this, uh, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums and Fantastic Mr. Fox were my, they were my trinity of amazing Wes Anderson films. The rest of them kind of fair to middling. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom I quite enjoyed. Um, I, I enjoyed more than I did Darjeeling and uh, Life Aquatic, which I should have loved, but I just couldn't mm. quite get on with it. Um, and Bottle Rocket's a, a good film as well, but yeah, I've, I've been, it's been a little bit up and down, and I was I was a little bit concerned about this, but uh, some bits of it I uh, I loved in just in the sense that it's setting. I personally love Eastern Europe. I, I've been to Czech Republic on numerous numerous occasions i've also been to hungary and kind of areas uh, around that and so that that kind of spoke to me because it is a, it is a, a period of uh, time that i'm i'm interested in it's an area of the world that i enjoy and so that for a start just really helps mm-hmm. get me over that but um f murray abraham I'm so, i love f murray abraham so much so seeing him in it was fantastic um it, it just came together for me at so many funny lines and what i liked about it compared to some other um more recent wes anderson films was it actually felt a lot more fun and had a lot more momentum it didn't really slow down it was a caper and i I really enjoyed the fact that i didn't have any kind of slow maudlin people talking the way they don't in real life bits (laughs) Well, it kind of had that. <laughs> oh, no, no, it did have that loads. Yeah. Um, but in this whole world they created. But Darjeeling Express, for example, was a kind of more realistic Wes Anderson film. And parts of the Life Aquatic were kind of elements where it was trying to be a bit more realistic, whereas this really wasn't. And I quite enjoyed the fact that it was taking place in a completely made-up way, in the same way that I would a Disney film where crabs kind of play Calypso songs and stuff like that. I, I, I was transported. And that's what I like to go to the cinema for. Yeah. I went to the cinema. I was transported to a completely different world. Um, and and well, I know people have moaned about kind of accents and things. I love that every single actor just uses what their natural voice is and things like that. I, I love I love that element of Wes Anderson. It's a weird yeah. mix. Uh, but we've not let Callum talk yet. So let's <laughs> let Callum get a word in edgeways. Oh, well, if you're building it up to Fantastic Mr. Fox level, then you're obviously going to be disappointed you know, because Grand Budapest Hotel doesn't have Jarvis Cocker on taking the piss out of himself. So. <laughs> it's very true, very true. Yeah, no, um, this is actually my first Wes Anderson film. I mean, like I have seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, but there's a dispute as to who's actually more responsible for that. Seeing as Anderson only did voice recordings and the animation was done by somebody else, I don't want to get into that. Um, yeah, no, um, I, I, I really rather enjoyed it. I think it's, you know, it, it, it was, it's quite funny. It's, you know, like it's fast paced. It's exciting, tense at points, and uh, but also like it, quite dark in places yeah, as well. Yeah, but also it's, like, it's got this genuine kind of sweetness running through it, like which is probably why it's kind of stuck with me. In fact, like it all feels genuine. It never feels like it's, like it's, like it never feels wacky for the sake of wacky. It never feels like it's being, like it never like feels like it's kind of saying words laugh at people it all feel it, it feels like it has genuine care for pretty much all of its characters even like the even the um 
dark evil ones like Willem Dafoe, who incidentally has put on probably the best Willem Dafoe performance I've seen in ages. Yes. <laughs> like, he just has to stand around looking looking ridiculously menacing. Yeah. As in, like, menacing, but also looking absolutely stupidly ridiculous. Yes. Oh, yeah, that that leather jacket and that yeah. haircut. And, yeah. yeah. Like, I like him carrying his shoes down the street. I thought that was yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, it, it's... it's it, yeah, I really, really liked it. I also love the visual style as well, like the way that it splits between its different eras depending on like on the style of the camera shot and that. It, which um, like, it, it's one of those things which you you notice at the beginning, but then you kind of get so drawn into the world that it doesn't become an issue again until it makes that switch back. Yeah. Um, yeah, and no, I, I thought it was great. I thought performances by everybody were great. Uh, Ray Fiennes is fantastic, but also um, Tony Re- Tony Revolori, um as the as Zero. Um, yes. Yeah, he is absolutely fantastic in that. Um, without a doubt. Um, you know, like he essentially has to carry the heart of that film by being the centre and you know, the the kind of camaraderie that him and Gustav Age by the Ray Fine share is. Predominantly, what gives that film that kind of sweetness and that in there as well. Yeah. Plus, you know. And and you're right. There is a there's a genuine sweetness there. There's a you know that for parts of it, a father son star relationship. Then you've got the kind of buddy relationship going on there as well. I know. I I really, I I did find I was genuinely touched by elements yeah. of that, and that was really nice. Um, but I thought it also handled the kind of the stuff that was clearly going on around Europe at the time with a, a sensitivity because mm. it's a quirky caper movie and it could have made light of the rise <coughs> of fascism and things like that. And actually, I think it dealt with that in its own universe in a believable but still quite you know, well, they, yeah, they, I mean, they talk scary way. They, yeah, they, uh, well, they talk about Gustav living in his own illusion, don't they? I mean, the world that he's we're seeing yeah. is the way that he's trying to uh, create a world he wants to inhabit, almost. Yeah. So, so the, the the part of the you know the fascism and how it um, rises through the film is told in quite a fantasy. It's yeah, style, which suits the way that it, the, the film is meant to be. I love which the... reminds me a little bit of Life is Beautiful as well, actually. Uh, okay. v- very, very different films. Mm. But that idea that someone can kind of almost make a playful world out of yeah. the absolute horror that's happening around them. Well, what it reminded me of was 500 Days of Summer in the sense that mm. through Jordan, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, you're seeing love how he sees it at that time mm-hmm. everyone as yeah. the viewer you know that this woman is completely wrong for him but you you the, the, the way that everything happens around him the, the screen gets brighter and there's lots of singing and that's all because he's in love it's the same in, with this and in, in the sense that you get the the idea that well gustav's gustav's life is pretty much a fantasy you know the, yeah. the way he lives is just a grotty little hotel room but actually he's got this grand sort of uh, fashion and everything has to be perfect and very he's got you know very specific way of talking um and it's it's brilliant i think that's one of the one of the things that like i liked about it but um, there, there are lots of things i like about it when when you boil it down to each individual element there isn't really much i didn't like it's just the way that it all kind of fit together overall is where i felt it was a little bit um i don't want to say flat it's bumpy, I guess, rather than a flat, because it, it peaks and troughs. I think there were there were points. Uh, that that's 
where I've had my issues with Anderson before. I, I suppose it, it purely depends on whether you buy into it or not. Um, and having a look at what some of our, our listeners and followers have said about mm. it, um, at Shorky1969 said, if he was an Anderson fan, he thinks he'd love it. Fines were superb, but overall far too quirky for me. Uh, he said two and a half out of five. And uh, Martin Cross uh, at NBC UK also said Grand Rio de Pest Hotel was funny in places, but too quirky for me. And that, mm. that word quirky seems to come across a lot. Um, and, yeah, you know, I'm assuming they weren't surprised that it was quirky. They didn't go in kind of thinking, oh, what's this? For? Oh, whoa, this is a bit quirky. Because, uh, yeah, it's a Wes Anderson film. Mm. But I, I, And I can see how that would put people off. Um, it's certainly not for everyone, but... I, I'm I'm being I'm converting back to the Wes Anderson cause now after the last couple of films I, I'm starting to you know and if you think that his last few films were fantastic Mr Fox then Moonrise Kingdom then this actually yeah I'd, I've I'm I'm back on board I, and I I really really enjoyed this and it's a film I'm I'm thinking can I try and find time to go and see it again and I, that doesn't happen to Lego Lego movie and uh, American Hustle the only two films that I've seen more than once this year so it's done well in that sense yes and hopefully I'll turn up on time <laughs> I ended up going to see 300 Rise of an Empire because I missed the showing of Grand Budapest Hotel and I'm glad I made the effort to go back yeah. and watch Grand Budapest Hotel it's coincidentally exactly the same thing that happened to me by the yeah. way <laughs> <laughs> Too late for the screening, ended up seeing 300 and then kind of wishing that I'd just gone home. <laughs> and just to mention, because uh, I'm, I'm so rubbish with this, but yeah, also at Stake Heed, Paul Fish, who was on the uh, Glasgow Film Festival podcast, he said that 300 was ambitious but pointless. I, I'm still not, I, I'm not sure I agree with his idea that it was, it was ambitious. ambitious. <laughs> he said pointless. it was very predictable as well. It was ambitious in its offensiveness and mediocrity. Yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, also Jack O'Connell was in that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who's who's starring in the much better looking Starred Up later this month? So. Yes, I'm hearing good things about that. Hearing some very good things about Starred Up. Okay. Um, Steve, do you want me to just carry on doing your job for a bit? Have you fallen asleep? <laughs> no, or... I'm, I'm still here. I'm just. Yeah, okay. I'm just playing, I'm just playing yeah. pool on my phone, if I'm honest. Um, okay. <laughs> but you know, I'm still oh, paying. Professionals. I'm still paying attention. Um, yeah. The last new release we've got to review is uh, Callum, yeah, Callum's review of, of Escape from Planet Earth. So go ahead, Callum. I was like, I thought you were going to put a clip in there. No, no, I've not got a clip for this one because I, I don't want to do the editing, and I'm and so much so that I'm not even going to edit that out. Just take a two, just like take a two-second clip from the trailer or something to fill up the dead air. Okay, I might, I might do that. He won't. Right. <laughs> in any case the first thing about this film is that it was actually originally released last year in America in February 13th 2013 Okay. it's been out for over a year that does not sound at all promising it's been on Netflix yeah, for apparently the last six months it, yeah very promising um, but yeah I was told this like in the 90 minutes I was waiting between 300 and Escape from Planet Earth which was a weird double bill um, but yeah. Um, so it's the first feature-length theatrical release film by Main Main Entertainment, a Canadian studio, animation studio, uh, best known for Reboot, which was the first ever computer, uh, CG, completely CGI um, weekly cartoon series. Um, the One Guy Straits video, everybody knows, Money for Nothing. Oh, yes. Um, something called Tony Hawk in Boom Boom Jam, which 
I have seen again another one I'm instantly downloading. <laughs> which I no no boom boom sabotage sorry for those people who do oh, even better. <laughs> which I have seen because I remember seeing it like on kids TV or something when I was younger and it's something um, and also like three generations of Barbie films since 2001. But also more importantly they're bringing us live action they're bringing us um, big screen versions of Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper in the next two years. Okay. So. Yeah, so you know, essentially, you know, they have they have a track record. If nothing, it, it's not a particularly great one, but it's a track record. <laughs> and also, reboot was pretty good, in all honesty. Um, but you know, like it's there. So you know, I went in with some hope it could be pretty decent. And also, because again, these people are handling my Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper movies, and I am praying to God they turn out decent. And no, Escape from Planet Earth is dreadful. Oh. It is. It is every single like every single bad kids film cliche like trade to map that you could think of is rolled into this film and will appear at least three times uh like you know toilet humor fart gags montages set to chart ready pop songs or you know chart ready pop songs that were popular at the time the film came out but now that we are 12 months but thanks to animation lead times <laughs> like, now thanks to animation lead times are ridiculously out of date um, cynical, emotional, like going through the numbers, overstuffing, poor pacing, dreadful, bored celebrities phoning in voice performances, cheap animation. Like it's it's all here and it's all there and it's all just like one big bowl of suck. Um, like so, the plot um, is like two. It's sets of two alien brothers, um, Scorch, played by Brendan Fraser, who. To be oh, fair, with a he. Like, to be <laughs> fair, of everybody on that voice cast, he's at least attempting to put on a voice. It's not okay. it's not a good voice, but he's attempting to put on a voice, which at least means he tried. Um, and um, his brother, Gary, um, who is uh, voiced by Rob Corddry, sounding like Patton Oswalt from Ratatouille, who, who then, like, at halfway through the film... Like his paycheck seems to clear, and then he literally just starts re- sounding like he's ordering pizza over the phone when he's reading his life. <laughs> <laughs> like the amount of times he's, his character's played with shocking information, he just goes, No. What? <laughs> like it, it gets ridiculous. Um, like Scott is, like, they are both members of an alien planet called Bassa. And Scorch is the heroic space cadet who's also a giant jerk to Gary and an idiot and can't take care of himself. And he's, you know, he's a media whore, his attention is this and that. Gary is the older brother, but he gets no respect from his, from his younger brother. And he works at Mission Control and he's, you know, insulted, humiliated, degraded. His son would rather be Scorch. He never gets any relationship from Scorch. They, he's also overly cautious, plans out everything. The two don't get along. After yes, another arguments about their opposing worldviews and ideologies um gary quits and scorch is tasked with going off on a secret solo mission to the dark planet to establish friendly contact the dark planet being dun 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 planet earth <laughs> which like i admitted i say that you could make a decent movie out of that kind of thing you know like a you know a reverse alien invasion movie planet 51 tried something back in 2007 and it was almost as garbage as this film admittedly so still waiting for that for that good for that good use of his premise here like, um, like scorch goes down there he gets captured gary feels responsible despite you know and so he goes off to rescue him and they both just might learn a thing or two about a thing or two about each other meanwhile back on the home planet gary's wife and his really really fucking annoying son 
Um, the one which is played by Sarah Jessica Parker of all sodding people. Um, and I have to uncover a conspiracy because there's a conspiracy because why the hell isn't there? Um, and like, then on Earth, uh, Gary runs into these two comic relief 7-Eleven shop workers because they're there as well. And then he gets captured thrown into Area 51 and he meets all these other aliens. And then there's this evil general who's planning on blowing up alien planets and stuff and his voice he's called general t james t shanker and he's voiced by william shatner and yes that is the supposedly very clever casting joke there congratulations movie um so like here's the thing it's it's dull the animation like the animation is really cheap and dreadful none of the character designs are in any way appealing like i initially thought the concept of well maybe it's being done on purpose you know like you know ugly aliens for once and then you know they'll contrast against more lateral looking humans you'll get aliens that genuinely look like it no 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 the humans come on and they're just as dreadfully drawn and poorly proportioned <laughs> and like and they all move with such limited animation like about four things move in every single scene like it's we, we this movie costs forty million dollars to make, which does like it doesn't sound like a lot, seeing as Disney and Pixar films often break like there hasn't been one that's come under one hundred and fifty million since two thousand and ten. Um, like, but the, the Lego movie costs sixty million dollars, and look mm. at that, look at yeah. that, yes. and then compare it to this, which looks, I'll put it this way, it's at least a step up from from Boom Boom Sabotage, but. <laughs> like you, you you should just like google the images of tommy hawk and boom boom sabotage while i talk here just so you could get an, um, just how just horrifying those character designs are like so yeah the animation is dreadful which also means all the physical jokes don't work because like it's just poor timing on all fronts um like and the jokes themselves are really just you know easy cheap you know, like gags that ain't big like and oh hey did you know that we humans might be the real monstrous aliens because <laughs> we because we do this thing where we divide ourselves into countries and we go to war with one another and we have and we oh, idolize I feel like this, I'm learning and we idolize this man called Simon Cowell who wears sunglasses indoors all the time and has funny I'm not even kidding there's a genuine moment where the film stops like 45 seconds about Ricky Gervais oh yeah Ricky Gervais plays a talking here because of course he does um like can just rip on can riff on simon cowell for 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 like three quarters of a minute for no reason at all jesus miss barway i'd like to know this script was apparently had additional writing by stephen fry so maybe this is just proof that, not, that apparently not everything the man does turns to gold i'm guessing oh, um, like and then but it's just Oh, and there's also, you know, jokes for the adults, but instead of actual double coding, it means there are some get there are some um, gay panic jokes, or or like there's a there's a moment where Sh um, Shanka puts on an Elvis style hairdo and Gary just goes, hey, don't ask, don't tell, and it's funny because gay stuff. Am I right, lads? <laughs> <laughs> um, or or you know, rape as a punchline. Like there's some there's some aliens who who talking these dreadful Beatles impersonations at one bit near the end and they go, what are you gonna do to him? We can't tell you. It will give you nightmares or something like just it's it's God. Like it's just there's like you know it's dreadful platform humor and then there's food fights set to that bomb wop song like that um but bomb 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 song by Sam and the Wop or something you know like I'm the cat with the bass and one bomb 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 or something like you know that one song that was popular at the end of 2012 and now we all just pretend doesn't exist. Um, yeah, I don't listen to modern music. I just have a way to live, yes. guys. 
Yes. Um, but like then also there's a moment that it's also one of those films which tries to like hammer that has a really you know dreadful catchphrase that the film hammers through repeatedly in the hopes to make it like the next cultural zeitgeist because kids learn by indoctrination. It's it's Scorch Me Baby in case you're wondering, and it's always said oh. by Scorch. Ha 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 ha. Um, like the problem is like all this kind of suck takes away both from like the possibly you know interesting premise but also the fact that there are some genuinely slightly clever gags here that's a bit like um there's a bit where as a test firing um, the general blows up Hay- um, Haley's comet and the instructor goes as a sending condolence card to Haley and those kind of you know silly specific mm. gags that only I but likely only I find funny or like a section near the end where they're trying to find the disguised spaceship in a trailer park and they figure out which one it is by just shouting tornado alert and find and going to one where the door hasn't immediately locked. So that kind of event's just then yeah. it's surrounded by by gags where I have characters say like James Cal- Cameron is down or George Lucas get him that which is a, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and you're supposed to laugh so you reference James Cameron, George Lucas. I mean, do that like seven times and it's really not funny. Like, And it's that kind of thing that then suffocates things like, you know, perf- like almost pitch perfect fi- parody of 50s um, in, uh, like US infomercial, um, ed- educational films. Mm. And the thing is, like, that, that should be funny, but they're not because everything surrounding it is just so dull and lifeless and bored. Like, none of the action scenes are f- uh, interesting or exciting. Several of them just kind of, like, just cut. Like, they just randomly just stop halfway <laughs> through, as if, like, they've just, like, physically taken a slice into that bit. Like, yep, that's enough there. Um, like, like I, I will get angry here, but like it's just so soulless and dull, and it feels like a kind of film where every decision has gone through like twelve different ad executive marketing people and executives have had to tech off every part of it for maximum profitability, and like it's just so dull and safe and boring, and like I can't muster up the energy to get properly angry at it because like kids films kids deserve a better class of film kids do have a better class of film mr peabody and sherman Lego movie frozen is still in some cinemas uh, there might be some places that are still showing the genuinely great my little pony equestria girls at some point in the near future <laughs> or how it's even on netflix but like it's just it's like it's bad but like there's no no energy or effort seems to have been put into it so i don't have the energy or effort to get genuinely angry about it i just kind of i started yawning during the film i kept checking my watch repeatedly i'm pretty sure i started pretty sure like i kept slumping back in my seat falling asleep which in a cinema when they have everything turned up massively is pretty much a fucking miracle (laughs) Um, but like probably just most damning of all is that none of the kids in my screen seemed in the slightest bit interested like there were none of those gasps of wonder or shouts of amazement or you know just asking their parents of like at the end of frozen or, or of like is so and so really dead or anything like that in regards to those kind of, none of the things that you got from frozen or the lego movie or mm. like, it was just mostly just like silence for pretty much the entire kid crowd the entire time there which like i could say I, I could sit here and i could talk about the dreadfulness of this film for ages if i wanted to but just like i could all i just have to say is the kids didn't enjoy it and there's your damning criticism there we go yeah it's it's bad. Okay, uh, so that's all for our new releases for this week. James, what new releases are out next week that we'll be looking at? Next week we have got Need for Speed, um, <laughs> the the latest in the look sideways and shift your gear stick genre. Um, it's over and two hours long. Really? Two hours yeah. ten minutes. Oh, 
speed for speed is two hours it, minutes. It's got imaging poots in it, so it's there might Alan be some. Paul. Doing, yeah. doing a monologue about vengeance whilst opera plays in the background. There is, yeah. This is going to be something, folks. Yes, Dominic yeah. Um, as well, by the way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've got we've got that, and the Zero Theorem uh, is uh, Terry Gilliam's new film, which I spoke about very briefly on the Glasgow Film Festival podcast. But uh, a, a kind of a, a fuller review of that. And you know what? If any of us can find Under the Skin anywhere, because that apparently opens on Friday. But I can't see it anywhere playing near me because I bet those fancy London types have got it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if we've got Under the Skin, we'll review that. If not, it's going to be Need for Speed and the Zero Theory yeah, next you week. You seem to like Fast and the Furious, which is basically what Need for Speed mm. is. So uh, Yeah, but Need for Speed doesn't star Dwayne, Rock, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson for a start. <laughs> yeah, there is that. This, this depends yes. if Need for Speed has the self-awareness of Fast and Furious. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like, no, I'm they're... supposed to be there for the first showing tomorrow, like, well, or technically today, when or whenever this goes out. Before, probably, like, I'm there day one for yeah. the first 2D showing, and I'm praying that it is at least fun. Yeah, that's the thing. It better be. It better at least. Yeah. I want it to be a GI Joe retaliation rather than a GI Joe. You know, I want it to be. Yeah, have a bit of self-awareness about itself and not take it because if it takes uh, either that or again take itself so seriously. Yeah. That it becomes unintentionally hilarious. Have, have you have you read any bits of the novelisation? I, 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 I'm yeah, I can't believe I haven't read any of the novelisation of the. I've, I've played the computer game. Does that count? I have I have friends who have been live streaming reading that over the past week, and it is just the absolute worst. So now I, can I need to buy a copy. Work well in literature. <laughs> Aaron Paul said the only reason he, he said he wasn't interested in the project at all until he got the script. And then he thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought, yeah, did it come with a check well, attached to, to it? Sit there and drive a lot. That yeah. seems like easy dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess but we'll, maybe we're prejudging it. No. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, that's next week, Steve. OK, so, yes, uh, we'll have another break and then we'll be giving you some recommendations for the week ahead. <clears throat> It's recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going Saturday night uh, or late afternoon, ITV4, 10 to 6. Uh, build it and they will come. Put it on the telly and they will watch it. Field of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Costner. Classic Costner. Ghost Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was an alternative re- title of it. That really doesn't sell the film very well, does it? It's ghost, it's ghost playing baseball. What? I'm not watching that. Uh, Owen. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm also going for a recommendation for what's on TV on Saturday night um, on Film 4. Well, because I, partly I, I'm going to mention another film, but partly because we've already sort of talked about it a little bit. Um, 500 Days of Summer's on at 7 p.m., which is a recommendation for everyone but James. Rubbish, rubbish film. But a bit later on, uh, at 10:50, there's a film called Silent House, which is kind of like a psychological. Is it the original? Is it the Uruguayan one? No, this is from 2011 with Elizabeth Olsen in it. Yeah. Um. Now, I I mean, I kind of 
liked it when I watched it, but it's one of those films that I've more, I've enjoyed more reading other people's interpretations of it. So watch it and then tweet me. Just let me know what you thought of it. I'd be interested to 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 hear that. Okay, uh, Callum, what are you recommending? Um, well, I'm recommending from Netflix. Just joined on the sixth of March. Toy Story three. Yeah. Which, yeah, I honestly doesn't need any. Um, but the words there, it's Toy Story three. I mean, what more of an excuse do you need? Yes. And James, finish us up. Okay, I've been really, really lazy, and I'm repeating my recommendation from last week because instead of it being on US Netflix, it's now available on DVD and Blu-ray from Monday the 17th. It is Blue is the Warmest Colour, one of my favourite films from last year. It's an utterly incredible film that shouldn't work as well as it does. Brilliant, brilliant performances. Um, yeah, Blue is the Warmest Colour, available on Monday on DVD and Blu-ray. Ooh, ooh. Can I, can I break both protocol then? Sorry, I just realised DVD yeah. releases count. Can I add another one? Um, Drinking Buddies just hit DVD in the UK. Okay, um, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. New Joe Swanberg film. My fifth favourite film of last year. Like, just came out of nowhere. Um, okay. but, but kind of comedy drama about four, pe- about four people in separate relationships but possibly pining for each other and... It's kind of mumblecore, but it's very sweet and very genuine and also just builds to one of the best, like, endings for me personally of the entirety of last year. Um, I I adore that film because, like, it hits, like, it hit me and it, it, more than most other romance film, romantic comedies or comedy dramas or any drama about relationships that I've seen, it feels real because, like, I've been in that situation. I cannot recommend it more. So. Brilliant. Uh, that's got Jake Johnson and Anna Kendrick in, hasn't yes. it? Yes, and also yes. Olivia Wilde. Her, Olivia yes, Wilde and Jake Johnson, who have like the best duo chemistry I've seen in the watch. So, wow. And we go okay. that back full circle. I've seen that on um, Netflix US as well. So anyone who's got Netflix US, it's already up there as well, if anyone fancies that. I keep meaning to watch it because it got a few votes in our end of year awards last year, but not enough because not enough people had seen it, obviously. So I'll I'll watch that. Thank you, Callum. Excellent. I think that's uh, all for this week's podcast. Uh, We'd like to thank everybody who's contributed, especially Callum on his first appearance or first proper appearance. Putting us all to shame. Um, (laughs) With my research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with his fancy research and his film degree. <laughs> and of course, I'd like to thank everybody who has listened and keeps listening to the podcast. Without you, we wouldn't bother doing it. And we'll be back the same time next Just week. Just be talking in a room. <laughs> which, which happens most days anyway. But yeah. In a room, like a straitjacket and padded walls. This week I saw 300 Rise of an Empire! <laughs> yes. That's a good impression. That, that has been uncanny. Week, <laughs> anyway, yes, that's all for this week. I'll join us back at the same time next week. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.